Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 128 with Matt Finarelli. And then the pandemic hit and the concept of gathering with random strangers night after night just suddenly became a no-go. And I found my business model 100% shut down. Uh, You know, restaurants could pivot to figure out, you know, takeout and to-go stuff and keep everyone safe. You know, they, they did those kinds of pivots. My business of going to people's homes had no pivot. Uh, there's no takeout version of a cooking class uh, that I saw. And so I did what most people did. I thought, you know, hey, this will just be like two months. I'll ride it out, you know, and then I'll get back into it. And the months just kept on going. And I'm like, not working and nothing's happening. And I could see it's just not getting any better. So I had to figure out something. Uh, I had to figure out something to do. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. This week, I have personal chef and cooking instructor Matt Finarelli. Matt was a guest on our show way back in March 2020. In fact, he might have been the last in-person show that we recorded before the COVID shutdown. If you're interested in hearing that episode, it was number 24, and you can find the link in our show notes. So due to the situation with COVID, Matt didn't feel comfortable going into people's homes to cook or do lessons. But... Like most people, he needed some form of income, so Matt turned to online cooking classes. It wasn't something he had experience with, but he found a way to make it work. Now he wants to share that knowledge with you, the listener. Matt talks about how he got started and what he learned along the way. He'll tell you what gear he's using, how he sets up the online classes, and what his price structure looks like. While Matt plans on going back to in-home dinners and lessons, he says he'll definitely be continuing to do the online classes. So. He wanted to come on the show and provide tactical information to help you set up a similar business. If you'd like to learn how to make money with online cooking classes, this is the episode for you. And I'd just like to say that the biggest thing you could do to help support the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast is to share it. If you enjoy the show and get some value, tell people about it. Post on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Leave a review, comment, just let people know we're out here putting on this show. I really appreciate the support. Thank you. And now, I'm pleased to welcome our newest sponsor, Baking Steel. Looking to make better pizza? How about bagels, bread, or English muffins? Then you need a Baking Steel. Don't just take my word for it. Kenji Lopez-Alt of Serious Eats and the Food Lab said, This is the answer I've been waiting for to produce consistently awesome pizza over and over. I've had my Baking Steel for a number of years, and I absolutely love it. Besides baking bread goods in the oven... It's the best way for me to make tortillas at home, uh, both corn and flour, as well as an amazing smash burger. And if you want to hear the whole baking steel story, 
I have founder Andres Lagsden as a guest this season, so that episode should be dropping in a couple weeks. In the meantime, I'm going to drop a link in the show notes so you'll be able to pick up your own baking steel. Hey, Matt, how's it going? So great to have you back on the show. Uh, it's wonderful to be back on the show. Thanks for having me uh, again. I'm just I'm thrilled to be back. Yeah, your episode was one of the last ones we did in person, and it aired in March of 2020, if you can believe that. So it was uh, episode 24. God, it's it seems like forever ago. And I was actually thinking back to when we did it in person, and part of him was like, you know, when was that? When did we actually do that? How close to the shutdown were we? And I now you're telling me I didn't realize it was that close. I knew it was close, but wow! And just uh, and congratulations on the podcast uh, through all this that it's just grown and become so great. I love it. Well, thank you. Yeah, you, I think the day you recorded the show was our longest recording ever because we did two that day, and we even right. took a lunch break and did some drinking <laughs> yep. in there in the middle. Um, definitely, uh, I remember seems <laughs> like a million years ago that we did that. But I'm so glad you can come back on the show because so much has changed. Um, so for all of our listeners. We're not going to get a lot into your backstory. If anyone wants to hear about Matt, uh, episode 24, I'll link it in the show notes. But he is a personal chef and a cooking instructor. And I really wanted to talk to him about how business has changed and what's changed since COVID because so much has changed. So that's probably a great starting off point. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do as far as being a personal chef and a cooking instructor? And that can be both pre-COVID, and then we'll kind of transfer into what you're doing now. The main thing that I did uh, with culinary instruction pre-COVID was my business model was to work with clients to figure out what they wanted to make. I would then do all the shopping for all the ingredients. I would gather up all my equipment, I'd drive to their home, and we would teach a cooking class in the comfort of their own home. And it was great. I loved that business, and it was just fantastic. And then the pandemic hit, and the concept of gathering with random strangers night after night just suddenly became a no-go. Uh, and I found my business model 100% shut down. Uh, you know, restaurants could pivot to figure out, you know, takeout and to-go stuff and keep everyone safe. You know, they, they did those kinds of pivots. My business of going to people's homes had no pivot. Uh, there's no takeout version of a cooking class uh, that I saw. And so I did what most people did. I thought, you know, hey, this will just be back two months. I'll ride it out. You know, and then I'll get back into it. And the months just kept on going. And I'm like, not working and nothing's happening. And I could see it's just not getting any better. So I had to figure out something. Uh, I had to figure out something to do. Now, did you ever think about doing drop-off kind of meal prep? Because you and I have very similar business models. And everyone kept saying to me, well, why don't you just go and do these meals, rent a commercial kitchen, make a, make a bunch of food, and drop it off at someone's house? That's not what I ever really wanted to do. I don't know how you feel. Did that ever go through your mind? It, what actually it was was I did that for six years. That was, a, that was a huge part of my business for a very long time was weekly meal prep. I had clients that you know would order off a menu that I created. I, I had a partner, so we rented kitchens. We did the same menu so we could make the food in bulk, package it, and deliver it. I did that nonstop for six years. And that's, you know, give or take 300 weeks in a row, I did that. And I finally burned out on it. I stopped. What happened? The pandemic, I had clients come back to me. And they were like, hey, man, you know, <laughs> we're ready to hire you if you want to do this. And I was just like, I'm still too burned out from the six years that I'd done that. So yeah, it crossed my mind in the sense of maybe this is all I can do, but man, I didn't want to. I, I was just so, it was, that's, it's, it's hard. That is a hard, hard business to be in. 
And yes, the money's good and I enjoyed it, but I was I was too burned out to even entertain that as an option. And did you ever consider masking up and going into people's houses? I mean, that's what I did. I've talked a lot about taking 11 weeks off and then going back in. And I have immunocompromised uh, seniors, my in-laws who live with us and kids, but you know, I, I needed to get to back, back to work. Um, and a lot of people have, but you haven't worked at all like that during the pandemic. Did you ever think about doing that? And what was that decision like? My, my family, we were being very cautious. And so no, it wasn't until the vaccines came out. I was always watching, where's the vaccine status? How's that coming? And when the vaccines became available, uh, my wife works in a, uh, in a high-risk industry, and so do I, technically being a chef. So we got early on in the vaccines. I got myself vaccinated as quickly as I could. Once I was vaccinated, once I gave it the few weeks, then I started masking up and going in. But before I was vaccinated, it was just not it was not. It was not an option for me. Uh, I wasn't, I, and I made sure all of the clients that I went to were also vaccinated. I made sure that they, you know, I was like, "Is everybody present vaccinated?" And even still, I, I messed up. And for actually, it was a summertime, and I, I made uh, my first foray back to people's homes. I was like, "I'll do outdoor events," you know, because it was. An, we had a very nice summer here in D.C. So I just said, "Let's let's go outside uh, on, a, you know, let's keep some distance and have the air around us." You know, let's do it that way. And so I did a bunch of. Um, you know, uh, wine tasting and beer tasting type uh, classes in the great outdoors in the summertime as my first forays back into it. I really tried to ease back into it as safely as I could. Uh, and I've, I've yet to catch COVID, knock on wood. And, uh, you know, that's the way I want us to keep it. I want to keep it just like that. Yeah, same here. We have dodged that bullet as well. And as this Omicron variant is out there, it's, it's getting scary. I mean, I've really had to reconsider that. I've been doing some big parties. I've had some big parties in December. And uh, you know, guests aren't masked in their house. I mean, they're going to be eating, they're going to be partying. And even right. though I'm vaccinated and boosted and wearing masks, I'm still kind of like, I don't know, is it time to become a bit of a shut-in again? I, what I told my clients was I'm coming back in person starting in the new year. Like that was going to just be my dividing line. January 1st, I'm back. And I sent out an email to that effect. And of course, everybody was like, yeah, you're back. <laughs> you know, the, the people all say, yeah, come on. And so I started scheduling things. I had a class for this. We're recording this on a Thursday. I had a, uh, or is this a Wednesday? Uh, what? I had a, I had a Friday and Saturday this week that I just canceled because I was like, or postponed. I was like, you know, sorry, it's too much right now. Let's, uh, let's push it down and we'll, uh, we'll do that later. Or we can switch to make it a virtual class if you want to, but, uh, but I'm not comfortable going into people's homes right now with Omicron surging the way it is right now. So what I really want to get into is this whole thing about in-home cooking classes or virtual into people's sure, yeah. homes. So mm -hmm. that's something you started. I want to talk about how you came about that. Had you ever done anything like that before the pandemic? Had you done any virtual classes? Absolutely not. Uh, I, I dare say that before the pandemic, I barely ever done a video chat. Uh, you know, I'd maybe done like well, like a Facebook message chat kind of thing once or twice. You know, I I really knew nothing about this. Uh, once the pandemic hit, I mean, Zoom became everybody's new best friend, and it was it was this wild world. That's where after the months were on for a while, I was like, okay, I need to do something else. Uh, I need to do you know, I need to do something here, and just to kill the boredom, you know, we I'd started doing Zoom and Google Meet was another very popular one. Uh, you know, doing chats with families and friends to keep in touch and so forth. I said, you know what? Why not try a cooking class uh, for this? And what, what the very first thing that I did, I remember I had my wife, she, we had a camera on like a little gimbal thing that she could hold. 
And I did a fondue thing on Facebook Live. I went live on my Facebook channel and I just, I told everyone it was going to happen at the specific time. I, and I, in 15 minutes, I made cheese fondue just live, just, you know, see how it goes. And the response was great. It was a ton of fun. You know, we had a really, we had a really great time. And I was like, okay, how can I start doing this? And what I did was I started doing classes for free for my clients. I told them, look, it's, this is the time. Here's the link. It's free because I knew it wasn't going to be very good because I didn't know what I was doing. And I wanted to get a chance to have lots of people in there, get something free and fun. I feel like, you know, I'm providing and I was just, I'm going to make a soup. And I used that to figure out like, what do I need to know? How do I do this right to make it really great? And then with time, I got good at it. And then I started charging people and people, uh, it took off. It took off in ways that I never expected it to. It was, I, I sent out an email around Thanksgiving of 2020 saying, you know, virtual classes makes a great gift, all of that. I was booked nonstop for the next six months. I basically didn't stop between December and May. I was doing four or five a week for six months straight because everyone wanted this and it really took off. And I learned a ton. And uh, like I said, I would love to you know, give some tips and tricks. If, you, uh, if you're a listener, so I want to try to create their own in-home virtual cooking class. I have learned so much about how to make this work. And uh, that's, that's why I think I'm here. <laughs> so uh, first and foremost, do you need to have a second person to do this to make it go right? Do you need to have a camera person? Right. Okay. Great question. Because I suddenly realized my wife cannot sit there and hold the camera for every single class. She has a job too uh, that she does remotely. And it's just not fair to make her sit there and hold a camera for two, three hours. Uh, yeah, it's impossible. So no, uh, you have to be able to do this without a camera person because no one's going to stand there for three hours unless they're a professional camera person by trade. You need to, for a step one, you need to invest in a tripod. Okay. I use my phone. That's what I'm on right now. And uh, I have a, these headphones I've got actually after almost a year of doing this, I was like, you know, I, I want the sound to be a little better. So now I wear these headphones and this microphone setup when I'm doing the classes because uh, I can hear people's questions better. And also I, there's less kitchen echo uh, when I do this. But the most important thing, I have this $20 tripod that's nice and adjustable and clicks and locks and so forth. And you need that kind of setup. So your hands are free uh, to do the cooking part but the shots are really good. And to that end, you need three shots. You only need three shots. That's why you don't need a camera person. You need your camera to look at three things. You need a camera shot that I have right now, which is you and I am looking at, you're looking at my face. So I can introduce the class, I can introduce myself and so forth. The second shot you need, I'll show you. I, and I know how to do click, click is this shot. You need the cutting board. Okay. So I, have, I, I know exactly how to manipulate my uh, tripod instantly to go take a look at the tripod and here's where we'll do prep and I can do knife skills and I can show people what I'm cutting and how we do that. So I have those setups and I have my, and it's great that my camera doesn't even have to move. Uh, the tripod doesn't have to move. The third shot you need is you need the stove. Okay. So that's where the other action happens. So I know how to, I know where the tripod has to land to see the stove just right. And that's where the pots and pans will be all laid out and ready to go. So I have, three positions of my camera and two places where I put the tripod. And those are the three shots that you need. That's literally it. Okay. And if you know how to, if you keep your spaces in your kitchen clear, so your tripod can land in those two spots at any moment to show people what they need and don't move the camera on too much, they'll get seasick. <laughs> then you're set. You have all the shots you need to do an entire cooking class. So one tripod, three shots. When you figure those out in your kitchen, 
you're good. That's 90% of the battle right there. And you're just shooting on your phone, which is something almost everyone has. That's right. It's, my smartphone does it. And I have a, I can keep it plugged in when it's in this position near the wall. So I don't lose charge. But yeah, if you keep your phone fully charged before the class, it'll usually last the whole class. You're going to be fine. But yeah, don't let your phone run out. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Don't let your phone run out of juice partway through a class. <laughs> that's, that's embarrassing. <laughs> and what app are you using or platform to um, do these through? Okay. So that's another really interesting point that uh, I want to make sure uh, I, I put out there. This is I learned this the hard way. When I did the classes I was telling you about, like Google Meet, where I said, I'm just going to be here at this time and everyone come, what happened was, and I learned this right away, was everybody at the last second, you know, I'm getting my class again a lot. People start, I can't get in. I'm having this problem. I'm doing, so now I'm tech support as well. So I'm, I'm tech support and I'm the chef and everything. You can't do that. You can't, you're the chef. So believe it or not, what I tell all the clients is, you're going to set up the meeting. Tell me what platform you want. And I've done them all now. I've done Microsoft Teams. I've done Google Meet. I've done Zoom. I've done WhatsApp. I've done Facebook uh, Messenger. I've done um, another one I'm thinking of. I can't remember. Win something. Anyway, I've done a ton of these uh, of these platforms. The client sets it up. Their tech support. If their family members are having or friends are having trouble logging in, they have to handle that because at the last second, I have to make sure that my class is going Okay. And I, I came at it with that policy and I wanted to see if people gave me any pushback, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's your class. No one has ever given me pushback on that. It's always been no problem. And, and I tell them, like, here's some free ones. You know, Google Meet is free uh, to use, uh, but if you, but almost everyone uses Zoom. I mean, it's for every 10 classes I do, nine of them are Zoom and one of them is something else. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought about that. And that I think is probably one one of, going to be one of the best tips. I mean, I'm sure you're going to give us some good tips, but I hadn't thought about that at all. The whole idea of them setting it up so then you don't have to deal with that tech support. I can see how that is. I've done some Zoom meetings where we had you know five or six people on the call and the same thing. I'm getting DMs through Instagram about I can't get into the room and such and such. Um, but you hadn't noticed any difference in different platforms. Like there were no big things like you'd been doing all Zoom and then you go to Google Meet and it's like, uh, this doesn't quite work the same or nothing you couldn't get over? No, nothing I couldn't get over. There are some platforms that are of these, some of these are better than others. And Zoom is the best, uh, I think. That's personal preference. I, it just, man, it just works. Uh, every, and it's sort of the industry standard. But everyone says, this is what we use in our office. We have this office account. Because oftentimes it's office parties. That's a big part of my business, uh, you know, office Christmas parties and so forth. Because they can't get together, and it's yeah, it, it, it's been amazing that I just say, hey, you know, just and I, I phrase it like, just send me the link. Tell me what time you want to start, and send me the link to the meeting, and I'll be there. Uh, and I've I've always sort of phrased the business. I called it at the time. I called it Chef Matt Cooks In. That is, you guys are having a meeting, and it's like I suddenly appear, teach a class. And then I leave and you guys and families can keep talking and so forth. It's just like, you know, there's a two hour window of this otherwise chat where, haha, I'm here and you know, we're going to have that fun. I have some clients, they hire me and they're always, they always meet half an hour before I come in and they're usually drinking wine before that. So when I come in, it's just this big boisterous, loud, you know, party that I'm dropping in on and they love me. I love them. And so we have a great time. And then I leave and then I get an email the next day. Yeah, we were on three more hours afterwards eating and having fun. And I'm like, that's awesome. That is exactly what I want this to be. Tell me when to show up, send me the link. I'll be there. That has always been the model. And like I said, no pushback. People are totally fine with that. Um, and that, keep, that leaves me to be chef support. 
and then they can be tech support. And that's, I think that puts the, the right strengths in the right places. So to get this rolling with the client, how are you going about menu selection? I mean, do you find out kind of what they want to do, come up with a menu, and then do they do all the shopping for their stuff and you've got your stuff and that's how it goes? With this, the model's completely different because I can't go to your house. Uh, I've had clients in other countries. I've had clients around the country. Uh, I've had, you know, even if they were all here in the DC area, as oftentimes they are, I can't buy all the food and then drive to everyone's home, drop off all the food. And so I would never make it. That, that would be untenable as, you know, because every night I'm driving all over the place. So what we do is we figure out what they want to make. Um, I try to limit the classes to under two hours because to be honest with you, Zoom calls and stuff, people don't want to go on forever usually. So what do you wish you knew when you started as you, the first couple ones where you started charging people, right? Like what were some of the things that maybe you didn't do right that you tweaked as time went on? Without question. The, the thing that you got to have in this, I learned is you've got to be prepared. Okay. You have to think through each recipe you're doing, think through every ingredient you're going to need, think through every implement that you need. Uh, every pot, every pan, every spoon, every whisk, every measuring implement that you think you might need, and just have them ready. Know where they are. It doesn't look good in your class if you have to stop and walk off over here, especially before you have a microphone and you start rummaging through the junk drawer. And it, when I first started, I'm like, I'm in my home kitchen. I got all my stuff here. And I had one class where I was like, oh my God, the piece of equipment I need is in my garage, you know, <laughs> you know, where my extra storage is. And I didn't bring it out. What am I supposed to do? Like, am I supposed to just run off camera and go get it? I, I improvised as a good chef would, but the concept is, is it was just didn't look right for the class. So without question, the thing that I learned after the first like five or 10 classes was get everything out that you need and make your kitchen look good with it all and be ready. And the fact that I could do my whole class and I never am leaving or wandering off, I'm just here and cooking. It looks so good. It looks so professional and you know, it looks like I know what I'm doing. And that's, you want to convey that sense of professionalism because they're paying you to be a professional chef. And yeah, if you go off rummaging, uh, wait, I'll be right back. I need that. No, oh, no, nah, it just doesn't look right. So when you're doing this, what's going on off camera? Yeah. So there's the behind the scenes mode. I talk about the three shots that you have to have and you're, you got to look good. Your, can't, your kitchen needs to be clean and all of that on, on the shots that are on camera. But then there's stuff going on off camera as well. One thing I learned right off the bat is there's a, a little pile of three things that I like to have off camera at all times. Okay. The uses for them are obvious, but it's one of those things you, you need gloves. Okay. No one needs to see your box of gloves, but have them handy. Tasting spoons. Don't go rummaging around to look for spoons to taste your food and band-aids. Okay. <laughs> look, we're all chefs. We work with knives. You're, if you cut yourself, that's not necessarily unprofessional. Okay. It's just part of life and it happens to all of us. But what's unprofessional is if you cut yourself and then you have to leave and go rummaging through your bathroom to find a band-aid. If you, if you do, and actually I've never have to date, you know, knock on wood. If you cut yourself and you make a joke out of it, you quickly wash off Band-Aid, glove, and it's all quick like that, and you're back into it, you never left, you look good. People actually say, wow, you know, he's got it together. You know, he or she, they know what they're doing as a chef as compared to just, oh, my God, I cut me. Then they'll just, you know, they'll think you're one of the three stooges. And the other thing that's mainly off camera is lighting. 
uh, studio lights. I invested in some studio lights. I'll turn my camera so you can see them. But having studio lights to shoot across the room uh, instead of your overhead lights, which you can see here, they're off. Um, the lights that are in the ceiling of your kitchen shining down on you uh, makes for a really bad shot. And your shadow will cast over it on your cutting board. It doesn't look good. Getting big, beautiful light from the sides like this and fills the room is a much better look. It's expensive uh, to go buy some studio lights and you might not want to do that at first, but maybe a, a floor lamp, you know, to shoot up, you know, radiate up and around instead of that direct uh, light from there. So that's my main off cameras. I have a few little knickknacks that, you know, no one should be looking at and then lights. I have good lights that make the uh, whole thing look at oh and under counter lights very important makes for a good look i mean how's it look i mean does it look all right to you? Yeah, you look you look great and those lights aren't that expensive i invested in some a few years ago because i wanted to have a do a, some photo shoot work and i totally respect photographers and what it costs but when i started pricing it out i was like i'm a decent amateur photographer i'm like all i really need is some good lighting and some other stuff and i just bought some lights on amazon just so i could start doing more food photography and even like my headshot that i use now we shot in my kitchen at my house. I cleaned it up, brought in the lights. My daughter helped me with that. You know, I've got a tripod, I've got a gimbal and all that stuff. And, you know, if you're going to be doing any kind of food media, I think it's worth, you know, investing a couple hundred bucks and in, in getting some gear. Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. I, I agree. I got, I even bought a little light box over the course of uh, the pandemic too, just so I could shove it in there and, you know, get a, get some cool food shots and stuff. We gotta do something to pass the time, right? So make some food, take some shots, become amateur photographers. I've even used um some LED like work lights, like you can buy for like twenty dollars on Amazon that are pretty bright without getting into the whole light box. Like if you just need some more light, you know, like the work lamps and stuff, and just plug it in and hang it on a hook somewhere in your kitchen, and that does a decent job. If you don't want to get into the couple hundred dollar range, uh spending like twenty bucks on like one of those LED work lamps is you know Absolutely. gives you just a little more oomph. Agreed. Oh yeah. That's uh, uh, some circle lights. Uh, you know, those ring lights you know, I have, I have a few of those. I use those for my uh, videos. Now uh, I just started a uh, video cocktail series called two hands, one drink as well on YouTube. So, Hey, go check out YouTube, two hands, one drink. There's my plug <laughs> for that. And I have some ring lights that I put in for that to, uh, you know, from the sides of me, I've got so much lighting behind me for that uh, show. It, it's kind of weird. I'm always worried I'm going to start sweating from just the sheer volume of light that I'm putting on that uh, on that table where I'm just doing this tiny little cocktail thing with my hands. And there's just like all oh, these lights. <laughs> but yeah, I invested in a lot of lights. <laughs> well, I want to come back to the cocktail thing. But first, while we're talking about it, do you have a mise en place list? Like, do you have a written list that you do before every event where you're kind of uh, listing out everything you need? You know, things like everything from the band-aids and the spoons to all the ingredients for the event. So yeah, and it's mostly in my head, but what, the way that I like to prep it personally uh, is I have my recipes. I go ingredient by ingredient down the recipes and have them all prepped and laid out. Then I go through the instructions. I go equipment piece by equipment piece by equipment piece. Make sure I know where all of those are. So the first step is make sure the recipes are laid out. Then, uh, yeah, I just have this mental checklist, which is you know, clean up, uh, clear my two spaces for my tripod, the little bits, the lights, the, uh, the little bits and so forth. Uh, you know, making sure all the lighting looks good. And then uh, me, clean yourself up. You know, you got to look professional. So I put on, I, I'm dressed the exact same way as if I would go into someone's house. I've got the chef's pants, the shoes, I've got the jacket, uh, you know, look good for the camera and then go check yourself, you know, turn on the camera and, you know, make sure that the uh, your phone is charged and looking good and then do a video shot of yourself and make sure you look good 
for the uh, for the shots and you know test all that stuff out. So yeah, it's just a mental checklist and prep. But before any class, I mean, it's at least an hour of work before the class even starts on my end, just to make sure my kitchen looks organized, clean, and professional for when this starts. Because you know they're still paying me, and I've got to be. I got to give them the best uh, cooking class I can give them. I like this. So yeah, that's my, it's a, men, it's a mental list, but yeah, it's definitely a, okay, this, I got that. I got that. I got that. Okay. I have a written polls list for my events. Like when I go into people's homes. So I have this very detailed with like, uh, probably 40 things on it that I have to pull as far as China equipment and everything. And then I have every ingredient listed out. Uh, if I don't have a list, I'm going to miss something guaranteed. When I'm, when I'm, uh, Going off into there, I do I do the five point checklist. Uh, once I've loaded the car, I do the five point checklist: tools, equipment, recipes, cold food, warm food, okay, or room temperature food. And I just do those five things because I mean I've piled it up and I'm relatively certain I've got it all. Uh, each of those things, but if I leave my toolbox at home, <laughs> you know that's tools. I think it got to be there. So I always do it that I, I always do that five point checklist as the last thing before I leave. That's uh, you know it's, it has saved me some very very bad situations. Have you ever had any kind of interference, kids, animals, spouse, natural disasters, anything going on in the background? You know it's it's funny. Uh, my wife sometimes has to get some food out of the fridge. You can see the fridge behind me. She has to get food, but she doesn't. She just comes in and does it naturally. And it's, if you don't make a big deal of it, hey, this is life. You know, it's people, no one has ever said, oh, you know, what's that? You know, it's just, she just comes in and grabs whatever she needs. My daughter is eight and sometimes she's kind of wants to get on, but uh, my wife's, you know, like, no, this, this is not a group you can get on camera, but if it's family, uh, she just wants to, uh, if it's family or friends, something like that, she wants to jump up on the screen and be that, but, but she's never done a, a crazy interaction. I do own two cats, uh, but they're, they're not kitchen cats too much. Thank God. Uh, one of them, one of them likes to meow, and every once in a while, he'll be meowing for dinner off off screen, and they'll be like, "Is your cat okay?" <laughs> yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's just, you know, dinner's one minute late, and he's letting me know. So then my wife just handles that usually uh, when she hears that. So it's it's funny, but yeah, I, but I do try to handle feeding the cats and things like that before class if I can remember, just you know, so they're quiet, uh, that kind of thing. But I've, I've, I'm lucky; I've never had a cat like jump up on the counter in the middle of a class or anything like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to find a way to brush it off, though, if it happened. <laughs> yeah, my cat is a kitchen cat. He loves, I mean, I hate having cats on the counter and in that area, Ugh, but like yeah. sometimes it happens. But my kids are loud. Like I've talked to people about how hard it was being a content creator at home during the pandemic because we have an open floor plan. So my kitchen is essentially open into the living room and I have mm -hmm. twins, so it's not like one child. So like my kids are always... <sighs> not only watching TV, but yelling and banging on things. I just said, like, I don't know that there's any way I could do anything like this from home just because of the nature of having six people in my house. Like, it's loud all the time. Recording a podcast for an hour is tough. Like, finding one hour where I can get this done, where it's not like a complete shit show going on, has been really <laughs> tough. So I don't know that I could do this. Yeah, we sort of set up uh, rules, and they it's like this – class goes for this long. So during that time, yeah, I need quiet uh, for that period of time. And I mean, I understand that like, kids of a certain age, you can't even explain that too. And yeah, there's, you got to find if you have a bubble family. I mean, in the early days, we have a bubble family. We would send her off to the bubble family, you know, for the early recordings, just get her out of the house for two hours. And that's a, uh, that, you know, that, that works. Now she's pretty good. She knows that like, if I'm, if I've set up the lights and I've got the mic on, I'm here, you know, this is a quiet, time and she can read or uh you know play roblox or uh, whatever for a little bit of time 
And then once I, 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 whenever it ends and I take it off, I yell, I yell to the whole house. I go clear, you know, like the mic's off, camera's off, clear. And there's usually both of them are like, ah, <laughs> and my wife and my daughter, are like, we can make noise again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure if you had unlimited Roblox time, my kids would be fine too. If I was like, you can play Roblox as long as I'm on this thing, they would want my cooking to go on for hours. I, I and I do that. I mean, it's look, man, I, I, I need, I need a absolute, uh, not, kids running around so yeah when it's when the class is on absolutely you can all you want all the screen time you want uh just make it so i can't hear it and yeah it's fine you got to do that for uh for the class uh because you're right i mean a kid's running through the kitchen screaming that's just does not portray the professional chef thing <laughs> people want to want to pay for how many courses are you doing for this i like a, an ideal class is usually one main sort of dish and by far the most popular dish during the pandemic was paella uh, oh my God, I've made so much paella over the course of this. I, I've made so much paella, I like to say. My neighbors are sick of paella at this point with all the paella I've made and given to them. Just like, get all this paella out of my house, please. It's so much. Um, to answer your question, I'm sorry, it's a bit of a tangent there. Uh, it's usually one main dish. We usually do one little side dish, uh, whether it's a dessert or a side or an app, something like that. And then oftentimes a cocktail too, You know, just to start it off, You know, a little fun, shake a little something. To get started and a little history of the cocktail, that usually takes five, 10 minutes, nothing. And then we cook the two things. And we, yeah, that's, that usually takes about one and a half, two hours. And it's a great time. And then, you know, they have drinks, they have food, uh, they've learned stuff that I stay to answer any and all questions they have. And I sign off when, when we're done and I'm home with food. It's great. I don't have to pack up anything. <laughs> Well, you mentioned cocktails. I know you're kind of a cocktail guy. So yep. now you're also doing cocktail videos. Talk about your cocktail videos a little bit. Sure, sure. Uh, this actually was an offshoot of the uh, pandemic as well. We, I had some friends who we used an app called Marco Polo, which is like you send a short little video clip as, as like one would a text message. So the group can then watch it whenever they want to watch those videos. Well, I'm bored at home like everyone else. And I have been researching cocktails and teaching myself mixology. And now I really had to teach myself because I couldn't go much of anywhere because it was early on before I started take. I've taken a bunch of online mixology classes since. It's been fantastic. And so with Marco Polo, I decided to share some cocktails with my friends. You know, like, let's, let's do something. So what I did is I put the phone sort of here against near my chest on the counter, and I reached around the phone so the people were watching me make the drink, uh, you know, in front of me, you know, shooting out from my, like chest level. And so forth. And I just did shot after shot. And my friends were like, you know, these are a lot of fun. You know, the ones that liked cocktails, like these videos are fun. Uh, you know, you present well, you know, it's sort of my job. Uh, you have a good voice. I know I'm a voiceover artist. I know it's, it, they were like, these are great videos. You should think about doing a show like this. And so the show Two Hands, One Drink was born because you see my two hands and I'm making a drink with just my hands. I like to, I like to say it's the, uh, it's the only cocktail series on YouTube that has no waxed mustaches, no butcher's aprons, and no pretentiousness. It's <laughs> the way I like to do it. It's uh, I just you know tell jokes. I put up uh, funny funny clips, and I'm just making a drink uh, to show everyone and teach a little bit of the history and whatever I whatever comes to mind. Uh, and I try to do it all in one unedited shot. So if there's a mistake as I go, a little dribble or something, hey, it's in there. I call it out. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's. I'll, I'll call myself out for making for doing something stupid, but I want to just make it be this clean, unedited, raw, fun uh, experience for making drinks. And uh, I've got nine episodes now, and I'm having a great time with it. It's a lot of fun. I'm just doing it just uh, just to share some fun. What's your favorite drink? 
My favorite is a Negroni. Okay. That's my favorite cocktail. But it's so funny that, you know, when you ask me that, the reason I pause is there's also always this moment of what's my favorite drink right now? Yeah. Cause I, yeah. it's so amazing all these things that I've learned about cocktails. And I have these moments where I'm all about like a gin blossom or I'm all about a mint julep or I'm all about an old fashioned. And I just go through these waves of really, I just put up my video for the last word. I'm into last words right now. I'm loving it. I drank, them. Oh, I drank a yeah. chartreuse last night, just straight chartreuse, because that's how I roll. Yeah. It. It's one of my favorite cocktails as well. So Negroni and Last Word are probably my two favorite cocktails. No kidding. Oh, that's yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, but Negroni, I keep coming back. I can never stay away from a good Negroni. That's, one of my favorites oh. during winter, and people love this or hate this, is I do Negroni eggnog, which people are kind of horrified of. And I did a video on um, no kidding. Instagram they posted. Yeah, you just make a Negroni and then mix in eggnog. Like you can just buy store-bought eggnog and instead of yeah. adding in, you know, whiskey or brandy or rum, just like pour your Negroni in there and drink it. I've got to try that. I'm a huge sick. eggnog. I, I love eggnog. I do. It sounds horrible, but I've got to try it. I've got to I try make, it. <laughs> I make eggnog in the summertime and people are like, that's so gross. I'm like, how is it different than like drinking a milkshake? Like people drink it. Right. Like, isn't eggnog essentially like melted ice cream base? Like if you made an ice cream base, it would have milk and cream and eggs and sugar in it. Like that's pretty much what eggnog is. So like, why wouldn't you drink eggnog on a hot summer day? And people think I'm crazy. My innovation this uh, year, the cocktail I worked on uh, last year, I invented uh, the gingerbread martini, a ginger snap martini, excuse me. If you go online and look up ginger snap martini, all the food blogs have a recipe. They're all the same. They're all just copying the recipe like food blogs do and sharing the exact same recipe around. And it's horrible. It's a terrible drink because they, the main thing they do is they crumble up ginger snap cookies and put them on the rim of the glass. And then you get this big, bready, nasty mess every time you take a sip of the drink. It's horrible. So I invented my own ginger snap martini that uses four different types of ginger in the mix. And it's a great drink. I, I'm so proud of that one. I really love that one. This year, my innovation for the holidays was shaken eggnog because I love making a batch of eggnog, but I can't tell you how many times I show up at a party and I'm the only one there who likes eggnog and I've made it for 12 people. And, uh, you know, I either, <laughs> I either throw out a lot of eggnog or I do not remember the rest of the evening <laughs> as a result of you know doing what I had to do as the only eggnog drinker. So I wanted to make a one-off eggnog, like a, like a nog flip kind of thing in the shaker that came out perfectly. My main innovation was putting a half stick of cinnamon and a half a nutmeg nut in the shaker with it to bang those around, put in the flavor, really mix things up. And just it's the infusion of flavor is out of this world. And I, I have a really awesome... Uh, homemade shaken eggnog now that I can make one at a time. And so that's my, if you're an eggnog guy, I will send you that recipe because I'm very proud of that one. Definitely. And I do that too. I have recipes. I actually had one in uh, Imbibe magazine that uses Fernet Branca in there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also kind of annoyed. And while I'm on the podcast, I'm going to mention this. Fernet actually took that recipe without saying anything to me and uses it as their recipe and even went so far as to make a video and post it. And I didn't get credited. So while we're talking about this, because it's just something that just came up like a week ago, and this is something I'm going to talk about on the podcast more, is like companies taking intellectual property. I mean, this goes back to, I guess, you can't copyright or trademark recipes or whatever, but like, why wouldn't you just credit the creator, right? Right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do some one-off. I do some one-off eggnogs too, where you make just one for one person because I found not everyone likes it. But that's one of my favorite ones that I do. I, it has both bourbon and fernet in there, and I guess it's so good that fernet felt the need to take it and use it in their social media marketing uh, campaigns. 
So getting back to the cooking lessons, what have we not talked about that you think people should know? Like, what are some really great tips if they want to, you know, next week start doing this? Absolutely. I think the number one thing, if you're wanting to get into this space, uh, you want to become, uh, do these classes from home. And I, it, you know, it can definitely be a great side hustle and a great source of supplemental income for sure, uh, you know, through the year if you're doing it a lot. First things first, get out some free classes, give away some free classes. You have clients, you have a, you have a Rolodex, right? Send out an email and do what I did. Just say, I will be cooking this. Here's the recipe. You know, any pick something that you know you could cook, like a soup or something like that. I'll be cooking this at this time. Here's the link. Come on in, it's free. You know, and what you'll do is you'll do an only an okay job of it. And that's fine. Work out the kinks. They're not going to complain. They just learned a free recipe. It was totally free. Okay. And you'll see how teaching how to get people to mute their microphones politely, because uh, you can't have everybody banging around and making all that noise. Uh, you know, finding the ways to find your patter and so forth. But you only get this with practice, practice, practice. So give away some free classes, really. And it's not going to hurt you uh, to make a batch of soup here and there a few times, work out all your kinks, see how your layout works, get your shots laid out. So that's, without question, that's the number one way to get this going. Just start doing it and feel free to make mistakes because it's a free class. Uh, and then once you get good at it, go to that same Rolodex and say, hey, you know, let's let's make this happen. Get your friends together and let's Let's start doing it. And you'll be amazed how even that that great ambassadorship goodwill thing that you've done of free classes combined with the fact that people want to do this. <laughs> I, I am floored how many people want to do this. Uh, there's room in this space for lots of us to do this. So just start saying, hey, does anyone want to do this? And you'll be amazed at the feedback. You'll be amazed at how many people come to you. How long did it take you to work out your pricing structure? Like, did you have that pretty set from the beginning, or did you kind of have to figure out what to charge to make it worth your time and to cover your ingredients? Like when I started this business, I set a price that I thought was, man, I'm, I'm pushing it. You know, I, and I started out when I started uh, the uh, in home, I was like $50 a person. There's no way anyone will pay that. Oh my God. Yeah, no, that, that took off. And I definitely have increased my prices from that for sure. When I started this, I, I I came up with the idea like, do I want to charge per screen, you know, per device, or just charge a flat, you know, catch-all fee? And I, I went with the easiest option, which was a flat catch-all fee. And I said two hundred dollars a class. That'll more than cover my ingredients, you know, unless we're unless it's a foie gras, champagne, <laughs> something like that demo. Two hundred dollars will cover it, uh, and I'll make a little bit uh, on the side of that. And at two hundred dollars. The number of things I was booking, I within a few months I, I increased to three hundred because it was obvious that I was priced too low. And three hundred has, you know, I could probably raise my prices from that, but I'm happy with three hundred. Uh, you know, uh, you know, take out food costs and so forth. The profits just fine for an evening at home uh, doing what I love. I'm I'm happy with that. But yeah, I there's lots of ways to structure the pricing for sure. Some of them are more work, but. If you're going to charge per screen, uh, you know, a flat rate per screen, you can you have that ability to scale up and make a lot of money over the course of the night based on how big the event is. But if uh, if you just want to keep it simple, find a flat rate and find what people are willing to pay, and that'll work too. Did you take any classes like this prior to doing it to kind of see how they worked, or did you just went oh, on oh, your own? Oh, did I? I'm yeah, sorry. Like, I thought, did you? I, did you come I thought you meant. A- yeah, I misunderstood. I thought you meant did I take any classes on how to teach these? No, I didn't take any classes on how to teach these classes. Uh, but did I take any virtual classes? I took a uh, some Smithsonian lecture type classes uh, to see, you know, 
And I, just because it was topics I was interested in, but it wasn't on food even. It was just to see that interplay of how does a group come in and how does, a, how does an audience member interact with a teacher and seeing how a teacher interacts with a group. And it gave me a sense of what, how the, there's one person who's the focus and then everyone else is sort of out there in the field and what that, what that should feel like from both sides. So I, I did that to get a sense of it, but there are so many, so many very good uh, culinary instructors doing this now. Yeah. Take a class or two, see what you like, see what you don't like and implement the parts from the classes that you think work into yours and whatever doesn't work, make a note of that too. Like make notes like, Oh, you know what? She was, she moved way too fast or he was, he was really rude uh, when people were asking questions in the middle of his chopping. I don't think I want to be doing that. Make notes of that, make notes of what you like and don't like, and then make your show into, you know, all the best things and leaving out all the bad things that you saw. Now I'm sure you miss cooking with people in person. Cause that's not quite the same. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will. When when this is all done, there's no question I'm going back to the in-person stuff, um, but I'm never going to stop doing this. This will always be a part of my business because I've been able to do things with this that I was never would never have been able to do. My, my record is I had one person in Austria, one in Sweden, one in D.C., and one in Denver, all on the same class. And are you kidding me? <laughs> I could never have done that before. That was so cool to see and to see what their kitchens look like in other countries. Well, and everyone was talking, they're all family. It was so nice to see a family dynamic like that, that they never could have done this if we hadn't created a virtual cooking class. So this will always be an option. If you're coming to me for a class, we can do something in person. If you're in the DC, greater DC area, I, I drive a ways. Or if uh, you want to do something virtual, Absolutely. Let's do that. And it's a good cost saving option too. People, some people are like, yeah, I got, I got 20 people. I can't afford 20 people's worth of charge. Now I can say, Hey, well, why don't we just do it virtually? Because it's a flat fee, you know? And they're like, Oh, Hey, that's a great option. I'm like, sure. Absolutely. Let's do it that way. So I, I in essence, I've also created uh, an economical option for those who don't want uh, you know, or can't spend that much for a, uh, for a big uh, cooking party to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I charge at the very minimum $100 a person to go out and do these things. Uh, and then, you know, if it's a smaller group, I have minimums of like four people. So if it's two people, I'm going to charge you $200 a person. It's going to be $400 for a cooking class for two people in their home. Um, so at this, they'd still get off paying much less if it was just the two of them. And I guess if you had this, like, have as many people as you want, then you can have 10 people on there and and do it. And Exactly. I, and I charge, I charge just like you, I charge one ten per person with a four person minimum charge just to show up. So any event where I'm in person, I, I have like a $440 appearance fee as it were, and it covers up to four people. If you want to have 30 people, I mean, yes, I'll bring down the rate from one ten, but imagine 30 people times, even I'm charging 50 bucks, you know, like, you know, I'm just making a small number or those 30 people could get online and you pay $300 flat. So it is a good economical option for, you know, if people don't want to spend a fortune. Well, very cool. I think so many people are used to doing this virtual thing now that I think it's still right. going to remain being such a part of our lives. I know it was a hump to begin with, but like now my mother-in-law like goes to her church Bible study, you know, um, via the internet. Like, I just think now so we've cool. been doing it for a year and a half and it's something people are going to continue to do. So I don't think people have missed the boat on this. Even as the pandemic starts to hopefully peter out, I think we're going to continue to see more of this virtual stuff. For sure, we're gonna. This is going to be part of this uh, industry 
forever. Uh, there's always going to be the virtual learning and so forth from now on. And and just the fact that it get, lets you have a class with someone you never would have been able to have a class with otherwise. Well, do you have any last words or anything before we get out of here today? Well, sure. I mean, if anyone is interested in setting up a class, <laughs> please check me out at uh, finarelli.com. It's spelled just like my last name. So it's F-I-N-A-R-E-L-L-I.com. And we could set up a virtual class. Or if you are a chef out there who wants to uh, start setting up virtual classes, drop me an email. I'm happy to help you and uh, walk you through it, give you some tips and uh, start putting together your own virtual classes like this because it's it, it has worked. It has saved my uh, pocketbook and my sanity over the course of this pandemic. Uh, and I've, I, now I just love it. I mean, I'm just so excited that uh, I get to do this. I get to keep doing what I do and stay safe at the same time. Well, thanks for your time. I'm sure so many people will take you up on this. I'll put all your info in the show notes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if chefs reached out to you because I think this is a really great way to bring in some extra income, if nothing else. Even if it just becomes a side hustle for you, right? Uh, why not? It's it's a lot. It's It's been very rewarding for me. And uh, like I said, it, it was something I did out of necessity. And now it is something that will always be a part of my business. So it's it's been really great. Yeah, I think this is something that maybe I will get into. I've been a little resistant, but you make it sound like it's easier than maybe I had it made out to be in my head. When I first started doing it, the concept of my wife with a gimbal camera, I'm like, this is impossible. This is impossible. We can't do it. Uh, but like I said, I've learned, I've, I've gone through a lot of this and I'm happy to help walk you through it so you can make it happen. Fantastic. Well, to all of our listeners, thanks again for tuning in. This has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And Matt, hope to catch up with you again in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and chef database. The community is free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week.